0: turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Uh, when Tim said, you know, do you, do you have a, a sermon in your back pocket? You know, I, I'm usually working on multiple sermons at the same time because I, I preach expositionally. I, I, I preach through books or through passages. And so as I was t- thinking and praying about the generosity series, series about, you know, have you done your taxes? Um, I had lots of different passages I was looking at. I was trying to figure out, okay, how long should this be, how many messages? So before I finally settled on, okay, I'm gonna do these three messages, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, and then the interview format, I was looking at other passages. I had other messages I might do. So when Tim asked me, I got out one of the outlines of these other messages that I had worked on and ultimately decided, okay, you know, that, that, I'm not gonna do that one and finished it up last night and practiced it and here we are and I, I was telling Chris Eldon about that and he was like, ooh, it's like the deleted scenes on a DVD. So this is the deleted sermon of the last series. I wasn't actually going to do it. And I I hope, you know, that doesn't end up being prophetic or anything. So Luke chapter 16, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible because it messes with you. And it so beautifully illustrates what a parable is. So I'm gonna read the first 15 verses of Luke chapter 16. My Bible in the little note above it calls it the parable of the shrewd manager. So read along with me, if you will, Luke chapter 16. We're gonna read through this parable, which goes down through verse 15. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450 Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800 The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of God, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So this is a parable. A parable is a very particular kind of story. We don't really have them anymore. Maybe like the Aesop's fable stories, if you remember those. The ant and the grasshopper or the mouse and the lion. Or, because a parable has a point. It's it's a story that's meant to make a point. And a parable's a lot like a joke. There's a punchline. There's a point in the parable when you should be a little surprised. And oftentimes, when Jesus tells parables, we miss it because our worlds are so different. He tells a story about a king that comes along and he says to his servant, I've been coming to this tree for three years and it's never produced a single fig. Cut it down. And we think, Well, sure, if I had a fruit tree in my backyard and it never produced anything, I'd cut it down and go to Pike's and buy another one and all. Because we don't live in their world. The Old Testament has rules about fruit trees. You can't cut down a fruit tree. Even in war, you don't cut down a fruit tree. When this guy comes along and says, I've had this tree and it's not producing fruit, cut it down, right? Jesus' audience probably went, what? No, no, you can't do that. There's a punchline. Wow, in this story, oh, everybody, you all got the punchline, didn't you? We all feel this story in verse 8. When the story is going along and the guy is cheating his master. He is cheating him out of what he owes. I mean, the guy has said, hey, you haven't been a good manager of mine. And you look at this, you're like, yeah, clearly. He is cheating his master. And what does the master do? The master commends him. The master praises him because he's been shrewd, it says. We, we feel that. We feel that. Oh, wait, wait. That, no, that's not right. That, that's why this story is so bothersome to people because it doesn't do what you expect it to do. And we also need to talk a little bit about this guy, the manager, this is not a manager like we have managers, like you manage the Arby's or you manage this software program or all. Other translations will call him a steward. Okay, so obligatory Lord of the Ring reference. How many of you remember the steward of Gondor? Okay? Who's the steward of Gondor? He's the king. He rules in place of the king, because there's no king in Gondor, the steward rules. And the steward has absolute power. He can do anything he wants. He can order men off into, as he does in the story, if you know, into fruitless suicide missions. He can have whatever he wants done anytime he wants. It's as if he were the king while the king's not there. That's what this guy is. He works for, we're told, a rich man, The rich man probably lives in Jerusalem in a nice house where there's lots of cool stuff to do, and there's society, and there's culture, but he may own vineyards out in the Negev. He may have herds of sheep grazing south of Bethlehem. He can't be at all those places, so he has stewards. This guy is in charge of some aspect of this man's business, and he is, for all intents and purposes, he is the owner. So you remember, you've seen those middle age stories where the king writes out the message and he rolls it up and he, he takes his signet ring and they pour some wax on it and he, he does that. They did that in the Roman Empire. They, they weren't rings, they were rock seals. They were cylinders of rock that had something carved in them. And that's exactly what they would do. When they would write something down, how did you know if this was real? They, they would stamp it with this rock cylinder in, in, in some sort of ink or in wax. This guy's got the seal. He's the steward. His word is law. He can do anything he wants. He is in total control of that entire enterprise. Let's imagine that that he is in charge of a vineyard somewhere in the Negev. He is completely 100% in control. His word is law, but none of it belongs to him. Not a single grape belongs to him. It all belongs to the master. But he's the steward, so he has complete and total control over it. He can do anything he wants until, of course, he gets fired because there is one person the steward is accountable to, and that's the owner. That's the master. Nobody else. Steward can go do anything he wants with his property. No one will blink an eye. If he sells part of the vineyard, if he hires workers, doesn't matter what he does. He's the steward. He has that authority. Nobody's going to be surprised but he must give an account to his master because he doesn't actually own any of it. Now, okay, are you picking up the illusions that Jesus is making here, right? There's a steward, somebody that's been given everything and he's supposed to be managing it well. And that's us because everything we have, we have been given. There is nothing, the scriptures say, that we have that isn't given to us by God, anything, we're sitting up here playing music because God gave us hands and God gave us ears and God gave us minds. There's nothing you've ever done, nothing you've ever achieved, nothing you've ever gained that didn't come from some gift that God gave you. And right now, all of your hearts are beating and you can't control any of that. In fact, if you could control it and you stopped it, you would die. It's just going to happen because God has given that to you. It's a gift. No one here is having to think to themselves, okay, take in oxygen, break up O2, put it in the bloodstream, transport it to cells, turn ATP into ADP to energize my cells. It's all all a gift. It's just happening for all of us. The scriptures say we are all stewards of our lives because our lives don't belong to us. They're gifts from God. This guy His life is about to change. He's going to lose his job. And so he's thinking to himself, okay, what am I going to do? Because I don't want to go be a manual laborer and I don't want to go beg. What am I going to do? And he hits on this idea of, oh, I'll use my position now to make friends for myself later because my life's about to change dramatically. And again, in case you miss the parallels in this case, Jesus lays them out for us. I mean, he just says them, hey, verse nine, use worldly wealth now, today in this world to gain friends for yourself because one day it's all gonna be gone. I mean, one day everything we have, okay, I don't think this is a spoiler, right? We're all gonna die one day. Unless Jesus comes back, everyone in this room is one day going to die. It could be a day. It could be a month. It could be a year. Hey, maybe some of you are going to live to be 200. Maybe we're going to make incredible knowledge jumps in medicine. We're we're all going to live to be these incredible lengths of time. But we're still all going to die. We all have a terminal disease, and that's coming for all of us. Our lives are all going to change. Jesus says, use the wealth you've got now so that when your life changes, when things become different, when your, your, sta- your standard, your, your stage in life, when that all changes to something else, you have friends in that next world. And the master commends the steward for thinking like that. Now notice, he doesn't commend him for being dishonest. It doesn't say, and the master commended the steward for being dishonest. It says he's dishonest. We know he's dishonest. What he's done is wrong. The master commended the dishonest manager, literally the unrighteous manager, because he acted shrewdly. Okay, what is shrewd? And you've heard me say this before, but it's so much fun, I'm going to tell you again. In our world, your head is where you think and your heart is where you feel and they are in conflict with each other. And that's our language reflects that. We talk about the head versus the heart. We talk about people who are, you know, uh, you gotta put your, your heart into it. You gotta feel it, right? You gotta get out of your head and into your heart. We Those two things are in conflict in our world and the way we think about things. These guys, for them, your head is where you think, and your stomach, your gut is where you feel. So in their world, in their language, the word for compassion is the same word for stomach ache. When you read, Jesus looked out on the crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What it literally says is, and he had a stomach ache. And hasn't that ever happened to you? Haven't you ever seen something? And like, Oh, that yes, I feel really sorry for them, but that makes me sick to my stomach just looking at and thinking about. For them, emotions are seated here in your belly and your heart. The, the word he uses here, the word for shrewd is the word frain. It says literally, he commended him, the dishonest manager, he commended him because he acted with his heart. He acted with literally the word is frain. Because your heart in their world is where your thoughts and your feelings meet. They're not in opposition to each other. They're both factors that you use in making a decision. Your frame, your heart, your, your chest, that's you in their world. In our world, your head is you. So you read science fiction stories about people that like, they get their heads cut off and they get hooked up to a machine and they're fine because For us, our life is in our head. These guys, when these guys went into battle, okay, they didn't always wear helmets, but they always wore a breastplate. Because this is you. This is the seat of your will. This is the seat of your being. This is where everything you think and everything you feel comes together. So, you know, you watch those old movies, right? The Spartans are out there. They're not wearing helmets. Why? They're not not worried about getting hit in the head. What they're worried about is getting hit in the chest because that's them. That's their will. That's the center of their life. The manager is commended because he used his frame. He used his heart. He used all of himself. He's doing exactly what he should have done when he was managing this guy's affairs. When it says he is accused uh, of wasting his possessions in verse one, the word "wasting" literally means to scatter all over the place. This guy, he's man. Let's imagine. Let's say he's managing a, a vineyard somewhere in the Negev, right? But it's just scattered. He's not paying attention to the things he should be paying attention to. He's just scattered. It's all. It's all out there. It's not earning the master money. It's not being used in ways that we most advantageous for the master. He's being lazy. He's just got a lot of stuff going on. Now, suddenly, when he's in trouble, oh, then he starts to work out of his frame. Then he starts to think about how he feels and what he thinks and what he knows and what his position is. And his master comes up to him and he's like, yes, why didn't you manage my vineyard like that? Why didn't you put that kind of thought and care into my affairs? You only put them into your affairs. And so Jesus goes on. And as he talks about this parable and explains it, he says, hey, look, there's wealth, there's money, and there's God. And money is going to try and rule you. Money wants to be your master. And you have to master it. Because when wealth is your master, it only tells you one thing. And it tells you the same thing over and over again more. You need more. You don't have enough. What if? Sure, you've got money today, but what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? You need more. That's all money, as your master will ever say to you. You need more. Do you know? And like, this is a fact. They have done surveys. No one in America thinks they're rich. No one does. I mean, they, they, they ask people these questions. People make $100,000 a year. Are you rich? Oh, heavens no, I'm not rich. How much is rich? Oh, a quarter of a million. At least a quarter of a million to be rich. You ask somebody who's got a quarter of a million dollars a year, how much do you need to be rich? Oh, gosh, I'm not rich. A, a million. A million is rich. I'm not rich. You ask somebody with a million, are you rich? Oh, heavens no. Oh, my gosh, no. 10 million. You need at least 10 million to be rich. Elon Musk doesn't think he's rich. And Jeff Bezos doesn't think he's rich. Because you could always have more. If you have 10 billion, you could have 20 billion Something could happen, aliens could descend and destroy every single Amazon warehouse on the planet. You need more. Wealth and God, Jesus says, they are in opposition. You cannot serve them both, and folks, don't miss this. What's the very next story Jesus tells? Like, flip down to verse 19. The rich man and Lazarus. It's a story about a rich man in hell. Now, that is not what the story is about. The parable is not about saying rich people go to hell, right? They they don't. Scripture doesn't teach that. But don't miss that the next story Luke puts here, after he he has this story where Jesus is telling everyone, hey, you need to watch out. Wealth is going to try and control you. You need to rule over it. The very next story is about a rich guy who is in hell. Money is going to try and control us, and it's going to tell us We need more all the time because, folks, we are all this guy. We're all this steward. You are in charge of something. You're in charge of your own life, if nothing else. And scripture says that's a gift. You are in charge of your days. You are in charge of what you do. You are in charge of your choices. And for most of us, I'm willing to bet God has also given you authority in other areas. You have authority in your family. You have authority in whatever it is you work. If you work for yourself, you may have authority over lots of other things as well. You may be in authority over other people and you may have other people in authority over you. But your whole life, everything you have, everything you've been given, scripture says, is a gift from God and it belongs to him. And you're gonna give an account for it which is why you can get some really scary stories in the scripture about where God requires people's lives back from them. Because he says, your lives are mine, and I gave you life, and now I'm taking it back because you're not living the way I want. You find people where it says, and the Lord killed him. What he did displeased the Lord, and the Lord struck him down. God makes no apologies About the fact that he claims he owns everything on the planet, including us. That everything we have belongs to him. That we are just like this guy. And we are supposed to be living and making decisions out of our frame. Like, do you see? He knows what's going on. Like, he starts thinking to himself, okay, what am I going to do? I don't want to be a manual laborer. I'm not that strong. I don't want to beg. I'm too proud. That would shame me. What can I do now? So later, I will be in in good shape. He is thinking. He is feeling. He is analyzing. He's being, the, the word we translated is shrewd, but literally again, he's using his frame. He's using his heart, his will, the center of his being. He's putting all of himself into this problem so he can solve it. And his master's like, yes, why didn't you do that before? Why didn't you live like that for my good and my benefit? Which would have benefited him as well. He was a steward. He lived off of all these things as well. You know, we 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 talk this idea of okay, you know, so I'm jumping back into generosity, right? We talk about this idea of you know, we we give God 10 percent, and I hope you have heard me say throughout this that no, we don't give God 10 percent. God already owns everything. We can't give God back something He already owns. He owns every dollar we have. He owns every breath that we will ever take. He owns every beat of your heart. They're all his. And so I've said to you uh, and read some quotes to you and all about, like, like, don't ask yourself the question of, well, what am I gonna give back? As if it was yours. It's not. Your life's not yours. Your stuff's not yours. And contrary to what most people are gonna tell you in this world, you don't win by dying with more stuff because you're not gonna take it with you. But you know, a friend of mine once said, yeah, I, I, you can't take it with you, but you actually can send it on ahead, and that's true. You can. That's what this manager is doing. He's thinking about the future. Now, in order to do that, he's going to disadvantage his boss, which we're told is dishonest, but you can disadvantage yourself now. We do that all the time, We're saving up money for something, right? You want to go on a cruise somewhere and it's going to cost $5,000. So you start putting money aside. You disadvantage yourself now by not spending that money now so you can spend it later. That's what this guy does. That's what he's commended for. We are to be people. Do you see what Jesus says? Wow, the people of this world, they know how to use their frame. They know how to use their whole being to do what they think is right way better than my people do. Jesus says that us, the people of the light, the people who follow him, we're not always very good at using our frame. We're not always very good at using all of ourselves to be concerned about the things of God. We're often, frankly, I am, I suspect you are, concerned about the things of Jeff, the things of us. Where does God want you to use your frame? Where has God given you authority? Where has God given you ability? Where has God put possibilities in your life? Where does he want you to start disadvantaging yourself now, saying no to yourself now? No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to spend that. No, I'm not going to have that in order to make friends for yourself in the next world, because it's coming. (laughs) It's coming for all of us. We're all going to meet there again. We're all going to be together with all the believers who ever lived. And don't ask me to explain how rewards in heaven work. It's heaven. It's perfect. It's God's kingdom. But they are all throughout Scripture. Your obedience now, what you do now, matters for what happens to you in God's kingdom. Where can you use your frame today? Where can you use your thoughts and your emotions, your, 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 your intellect, your feeling, your your insight? Where can you take who God has made you to be and use that for God's kingdom? Use that to advance the owner's good the owner's benefit, because we don't own our own lives, and we don't own our own stuff. That's what scripture says. I mean, that's ultimately what I want you to take out of all these messages about generosity. How can you take who God has made you to be? Now, some of you are very good at making money, right? Amen, I'm trying to pay off this building. Please make money. We pray every day in staff meeting that God would bless you abundantly that your 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 businesses would flourish and your prospects would flourish and all of your sale meetings would go gangbusters because we want God to prosper you so we can pay off this building and start doing ministry. You know you've heard me say this before, right? 1919 2019. 1,500 churches were opened in the United States and 4,500 churches closed. Three to one, closed over opened. We don't know the numbers yet for COVID. The PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, they do have their numbers for 2020. And it's not three to one, it's almost six to one. It's like 5.8 to one. For every church, new church they opened in 2020, they closed almost six. And this is a solid Bible-believing denomination. We're in trouble. When churches are closing left, right, up, and down, we are in trouble. Jesus says, you know, if you take a piece of meat and you sit it out on your counter and you go away for a couple days, you know what happens? It goes bad. Why? Because that's what meat does when you leave it out. It has to be preserved, it has to be salted. It has to be cured. There has to be a process that keeps it from going bad. That's the church. We're the salt of the earth. We are supposed to be preserving the world. When churches are closing over and over and over again, our world is in trouble. And so we gotta pay off this building. We gotta take the $13,000 a month we give to the bank and start pouring it into ministry missions and church planning and all these other really good things. Some of you are very good at making money. Blessings on you. Make a lot of money. Right? And let's pay off this building and go. But some of you aren't really great at making money, right? I certainly could put myself in that. Like that's I just don't have those skills. I'm not entrepreneurial, right? I I I don't have those abilities. But you have other things. You have other places where God has given you authority. You have other places where God has given you ability. You have other places where God has made you you. Your frame. How you think, how you feel, your circumstances. So when we plant churches, we're going to need people that can go out and gather, folks. Some of you are really good at that. Some of you are really good at gathering people. We have a meeting once a month. Of church planners here in our church and one of the things we do every time is they have what they call peer coaching which is where one of the church planners will say okay here's a problem I'm facing and he'll talk to all the other pastors and and see if he can get some good advice right it doesn't matter what the problem is the underlying cause is almost always the same that these guys couldn't organize their way out of a paper bag They're church planters, they're evangelists, they want to go out and preach, they want to start churches, they don't want to fill out 5013C applications so that they can take in money, they don't want to be accountants and all those things. Some of you are good at that. Some of you are very good at that. Some of you could make a huge difference in church plants with your frame your abilities, your gifts, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, you, who God has made you to be. You have a role to fill. This guy, when he's just kind of like calling it in and everything's scattered, he gets fired. When he starts thinking, okay, here's my problem. Here's what I can do. Here are my options. Here's how, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Boom, boom, boom. And did you notice he doesn't treat all all the debtors the same? One of them, he cuts his bill in half. The other one, he only gives him 20% off. We don't know why, but the point is he's thinking. He's not just going in and saying to everyone, oh, your debt's gone, your debt's gone, your debt's gone. He's thinking about who these people are, how they could help him, what could go on. God has made you, you for a purpose. He's made you, you for a reason. What is it? how do you use your frame? Like what this guy is commended for, using his heart, his will, the center of his being. When we were missionaries with Wycliffe Bible Translators, you would think Bible Translators would be their biggest need, right? Number six on the list. Number one on the list is teachers. Because teachers are the main reason that people leave the field. their kids' education. The number one need in the mission of Bible translators is for, for, for teachers who can go overseas and teach kids. Number two is finance people. Because again, most of us couldn't organize our way out of a paper bag. They're linguists. They're living out in the middle of nowhere. They, they can't be in the capital city doing accounting. People with finance skills. That's number two need for that mission. Number three is, is IT. One of my best friends in Wycliffe works in Charlotte, North Carolina at one of Wycliffe's centers. He's doing four jobs right now. Four separate IT jobs because they can't get anybody because people don't want to leave jobs that pay them a couple hundred thousand dollars to go and raise $50,000 and be a missionary. Who's God made you to be? Why are you here? What's your frame? What lights you up? What matters to you? This guy is commended for using who God made him to be so that when his life changed, he was going to have friends. He was going to have a place to go. Someday your life is going to change, folks. All of our lives are. How do you use your frame? How do you use who you are, who God has made you to be so that you are welcomed into eternal kingdom? So that Jesus says to you what he says in another one of his parables, Well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are men and women who are using their frame. I think that's why, well done, you have done well. You have done a good job. You have used the gifts, abilities, the talents, everything I gave you. How does God want you to use your frame, your will, the center of your being in his kingdom? Now, I can't answer that for you right? I can only answer that for me, for my family. That's why I'm standing up here. That's why I don't live in Singapore and I didn't take any of the jobs that were offered to me there because this is where God wants me. This is where God wants to use me. Today, that could change in another time. It wasn't true 15 years ago. It may not be true 15 years from now, but how does God want you to use you in his kingdom so you are commended just like this guy was, you're commended for using your frame. So I'm going to pray over us. Because again, I can't answer that for you. I'm going to pray over us. I'm going to ask God and by his spirit to speak to you. Where? Where does he want you involved? Maybe like we've talked about this whole generosity. Maybe it's giving. Maybe God wants you to make a lot of money. So you can give a lot of money away. Maybe it's time. Did you remember what Rob talked about last week? Like God has given him favor so that he has time to invest with people maybe it's time. I I don't know. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask God. I'll ask God and you ask God. How does God want to use you? Who he's made you to be. Not who he's made the people on either side of you. Not all the people with all those other abilities. You. Your abilities. Your talent. Your time. Your frame. How does he want to use you? So pray with me. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that, that, that you are the God of everything. That, that every electron that flows through our bodies is because you have ordained it, that our hearts pump and our lungs breathe, that these myriad of, and literally myriad upon myriad of things are going on in our bodies that we have no control over, but you have ordained them. And so we have life. Thank you. Thank you that you have given us life. We remember from Genesis 1, you breathed your life into Adam. That's where life comes from. You shared your life with man. And so we have life through you. Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. We've been talking about being generous. We're going to go on later in the next few weeks and and talk about obedience and what that looks like. Jesus, I pray for us now today. I pray for each of my brothers and sisters here. How do you want to use us in your kingdom? How do you want to use us to be part of what you are doing. All the good things that you want to do, be it here in this church or in Hope Street Fellowship right down the street or across Atlanta or across America or across the world. Oh, Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would show us how do you want us to use who you have made us to be? How do you want us to use our frame, our will, our emotions, our, our, our thoughts, the very center of our being, everything you have gifted us with, how do we use that for your kingdom? How? Jesus, we, we need you to answer that question because it is beyond us and it is different for each of us. Lord, speak to us now as we're praying, as we take communion, as we sing again. Speak to us, Lord Jesus. How do you want to use us in your kingdom, so that we're commended. We want what this guy wants. We want to say, when we meet you, when our situation in life changes, when we transfer from this world into your kingdom, we want you to tell us, well done. We want you to commend us and praise us because we used our frame, because we used our heart, we used our will. Lord, speak to us today and in the days to come. Show us, bring people to talk to us, bring things up to us. How do you want to use us in your kingdom? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.